Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Basim Hamade with me. Basim is the founder CEO of Cognella Academic Publishing. Cognella has worked with over 3,000 professors nationwide and over 450 schools. Welcome. Thank you, George. Great to be here. Thanks for being here, Basim. You have started uh, University Readers that is now Cognella when you were only 18 years old. And most guys at 18 have no interest in academic publishing, but you saw an opportunity there. So what is it that you saw that others didn't? Well, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I've always been sort of entrepreneurial, you know, well before the age of 18. And uh, I think a lot of that sort of comes from my upbringing. Uh, you know, my parents were immigrants to the United States, uh, you know, kind of came here with nothing and then always really taught us and told us that, you know, hard work ultimately, uh, you know, reigns supreme. And so growing up, you know, I didn't have a, uh, uh, an allowance. Um, you know, if I wanted money or something, I had to go ask my parents for it. Uh, I had lots of chores to do around the house. Um, got my first job at the age of 14 cleaning meat machines. Um, but before that, if I needed money, I, I had to come up with ways in order to get it. And so there's only like two ways you can go. You can either like end up stealing or you end up trying to like, you know, create a business to, to make money. And I, I began by selling candy to, to the kids uh, in the seventh grade. And I made money that way. So I'd go to Costco, uh, buy candy bars at whatever it was. I think the price at the time was maybe a quarter of a candy bar, and you'd sell it for 50 cents. And there was a time I was making 10 or $15 a day. So, uh, so did I, you get in trouble with the school <laughs> I, you know, Ultimately, I did get in trouble with the school, and uh, so the whole operation was shut down. Uh, but you know what? I think what it taught me, though, was that there are other ways to make money other than just getting a job. And so um, – so I, I definitely when – I, when I went to UCSD and I was a freshman there, uh, I, I had enough money for tuition. My parents were paying for that, but they were not giving me any extra money, so nothing for uh, going out, nothing for extra foods beyond what was provided on campus. So I knew I had to get a job or start something, um, and so I, I was looking out for an idea because I would have preferred to get you – know, to start a business than flip burgers you know, on the, on the kind of the main, you know, campus food court. And so there I was standing in line waiting to buy a course pack, uh, which is what kind of so these custom published materials are called on campus, essentially a, an assembly of professor notes or other reading materials that are put together. And the whole process by which I was buying this course pack I thought was broken. Um, the lines were long. Uh, and unlike a campus bookstore where maybe you would go in uh, get the product or get the book, stand in a long line and pay for it. This service on campus that was run by the students ran more like a ticket counter. So you'd wait in your long line, and then when you got to the front of the line, you'd tell the, you know, the attendant, the cashier, what book you wanted. They'd go get it, and they'd ring you up. And on the very first day of school, I was waiting in this long line for probably about two hours. I was maybe the third in front of the line at that point, and uh, they ran out of, my, uh, out of the book I wanted. You know, they would open this door on the side and they would write on a board the books that they ran out of. And it was basically, come back tomorrow. I mean, that was the, it was the most broken process, process I can imagine. And then the, the idea was born, which I can do better than this. Right. It sounds like the Soviet Union a little <laughs> bit. You know, uh, standing in line for bread and then, you know, after two hours they say, we're out of bread, come back tomorrow. I mean, you know, it just seems so backwards to me. So I think... You know, rather than being, you know, yes, I was 18 and I was I was looking to start something, so my eyes were open to this. And I think I think most people probably experience frustrations in their lives 
as they go through uh, you know, the process of being a consumer. And you, know, you can complain about it, right, or you can do something about it. So I, I was really willing and ready and open to start something. And so when that idea sort of came to me, you know, it was really a no-brainer at that point to run with it. Let's be- this is so interesting to me. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, you know, I, was, I remember when I went, to, uh, I went to San Diego State, and I remember these long lines, you know, in August. And, you know, it was still hot and, you know, was spending hours there. And, you know, everybody complained, but I didn't even think about starting a business. So it, it's, it's really interesting to have that kind of thought process. Uh, did anybody else talk about that with you, or did you share the frustration with you, anybody? I mean, you know, I just want to get an idea of that thought process that, that, that you have in your head at that point. You know, the only, yeah, at the time, you know, I wasn't really sharing that, you know, idea with, let's say, any of my friends or something like that. I just basically said, I got I to gotta do something about this, and I just, I really, with laser focus, I began to see, you know, how can I make this work? You know, how would you get these products printed? Who could do that? How would I assembly? How, how would I uh, assemble the products? Uh, what about the copyright implications? How would I get those? So I really, I just began researching, just like you would any research project, on how I could possibly put these projects together. And um, and really, the more I investigated, the more I realized there was an opportunity. You know, so for instance, uh, the, the service on campus required the professors to do all the work. You know, they had to deliver to the service in the middle of campus, uh, one-sided copies with one-inch margins. They had to label things a certain way so that the service could then get the copyrights and get the books produced. And I thought that was crazy. You know, I thought, well, gosh, why don't I just go to the professor's offices and do it all for them? So I just began to think about all the pain points along this product line and just began to simplify it as much as possible from a consumer's point of view. Um, so that's sort of what I did and how I began to pursue it. So give us an idea how Cognella works and, and what is it that it does better than the traditional method of publishing, mm-hmm. academic publishing? Sure. Well, to, yeah, to give you a little background on the business, we've uh, so the business was founded um, as University Readers, is the company name, and that was back in 1992. And uh, so it's been a long time. It's been you know, 20, 20, 22 years or something like that. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, recently had my 40th birthday, and here I am still in the business. I probably would never imagine that at the age of 18. And uh, we're around 70 people um, you know, right here in San Diego. And we do have uh, uh, sales reps or acquisitions editors who work for us, and they're, they're, they're in uh, different college clustered towns around the country. Um, as a company, really our mission is to make publishing really easy. And that's sort of what we stand for. I mean, we, we want to work really closely with professors to really make the entire process as easy as possible. And we do it through two of our brands, you know, one being University Readers, which is the initial kind of course pack or custom publishing brand that we offer. Uh, those are for professors who want to put together something fairly quickly. It's only for their own course. Um, the product finish is good. But it's not put together at the same quality, let's say, of a, of a, of a professionally published book would be. And it's, uh, it's, it's, like I said, closed circuit, so really only for, for them and their students. And, uh, and then we also offer Cognella Academic Publishing, which sits under the Cognella kind of corporation. And that is for professors who 
not only want to use materials for their own courses, but believe in uh, a broader market exists for those for those for those works. And so we spend a lot more time on those products, uh, uh, finalizing the look and finish, uh, proofreading, copy editing, designing from the covers to the interior layout, making sure the content works perfectly not only for the course but would be well served by professors teaching uh, similar courses around the country, and um, and then we nationally market those products. And so that's essentially what we do when we, um, you know, put products together for our faculty members. Uh, we also work with uh, programs, some business schools, um, some entire institutions where we provide all the publishing um, requirements for a school. But at our bread and butter, it's making publishing really easy for these professors. Okay. Now, uh, I read that uh, you worked for about three years as, as an engineer before you decided to go full-time with uh, your business. What was the reason for that? Um, Give us an insight into, you know, why you went, uh, you know, as an employee for years before you actually said, you know, I'm, I'm behind this 100 percent. Yeah. You know, I don't know if there's a great learning lesson from this, but I can just kind of say what my experience was at the time. And, um, you know, and if, if that's of some use, uh, you know, to any of your, your listeners or readers, you know. Um, so I, when I started my business, I was not thinking of creating something that would be long lasting. You know, that was not on my mind, really. I was a college student looking to make money to help pay for, you know, my college expenses and saw it as a service in which I could do that. So when I graduated, uh, the business was doing well. It was growing. Um, it was local. It was really primarily just at UC San Diego um, and in the San Diego area. I had, I, I had studied engineering, structural engineering, so I graduated and I did what all structural engineers would do. You go get a job in structural engineering. And so that, and that's what I did, kind of following these social norms. And uh, I worked as an engineer, and I kept the business really part-time. And I never thought, again, the business would be my full-time profession. I saw myself going down an engineering path. I always had business aspirations and, and entrepreneurial aspirations, but I saw them maybe in real estate development or starting my own engineering firm or really staying close to my profession and to my education. But truth be told, I think what I discovered working full-time um, in that capacity, I realized that what I really loved was, you know, was business building. I found myself loving a lot more of what the business, the business that I was running and operating than I was with the engineering challenges. I also loved and realized that I love to do a lot of different things and I like to learn a lot of, about a lot of different things. And business really allows you the opportunity to do that regardless of the industry you're in. So yes, I was in publishing and I was learning a whole lot about publishing, but you know, I'm learning about accounting, finance, marketing, sales, you know, all these things that are universal. What I didn't love about the engineering profession in that role was it was just so specific. You know, I learned so much about exactly what I was doing in designing, but I didn't feel the same level of um, intellectual fulfillment that I got from learning about a lot of different things. And so therein came this point in time where the decision was really easy for me. The business had been growing. Uh, at one point, I was making more money with my part-time side business than I was full-time working as an engineering student. And so I realized that like, you know, I, I had to basically put in full-time efforts and really see what I could do with the business. Uh, and so, that was, it, so that's what ultimately made my decision to, kinda, to, to break away and pursue the business full-time. And how difficult was it for you to actually say, you know, I am now a full-time entrepreneur and I'm not an employee anymore? It, it was difficult. It was Psychologically, it was very difficult to leave the profession because I had studied it for five years at UC San Diego. It was a very challenging program, and you're imagining all those hours of you know, working in the labs and the weekends when you're studying for exams and all that, the three years of the profession. So I was eight years in 
So it's really hard to make that kind of break. And I talk to everybody about it, you know, my friends, my parents, my brothers, you know, um, any other confidants. And so it was difficult. But once I did it, I felt so good. I felt so refreshed and this weight off my shoulder saying, now I get to do really whatever the heck I want to do. And so I'm now sort of in charge of my own destiny. Um, I would say there was one more thing that made it a little easier for me, and it was that I knew I wanted to continue to, uh, to further my education. You know, I knew at that point when I left that I wanted to go off and get my MBA. And, um, and so that, it made it a little bit easier because in my mind it was, okay, let me focus on the business for one or two years, do as much as I possibly can with it and see where it goes. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because I want to go off and get my MBA anyway. So, so tell me, now, I mean, obviously you have your MBA. Do you think it's necessary to be a successful entrepreneur? I don't think it's necessary, no. No, I absolutely don't think it's necessary. Um, do I think it's, it, it, it's helpful? Yes. I think it can be helpful. I do think in some ways it can also be, it can also be uh, hurtful. In what ways can it be hurtful? Well, you know, I, it, it's, it, it's a tough thing to say because, I, you know, I, I say for me, I, I, definitely, I definitely took advantages away from having the, the MBA. So maybe I'll say how it helped me, and then I can see how I – mean, then maybe I can describe for some people how it can hurt them. So the first way I think it was helpful is – well, one is I never studied business in college. Uh, you know, I studied engineering. So when I left and began to run my business full time, uh, there were a number number of challenges that I faced. I think right away, uh, one was you know, an account, uh, run, understanding the accounting process, accounting statements, financial statements, and then making prudent business decisions based on those statements. I didn't have that background. Now, not to say I couldn't learn that on my own. And in fact, I did begin to take extension classes in accounting through UCSD to learn accounting and finance. I also took some marketing classes and other things. So I, I would encourage some level of education. I think that's beneficial so that you can talk the language of business and not learn it all only by the seat of your pants. So I think that, that was a good thing. Um, the other was it just so happened at that time, this was, this was a, sort of in the beginnings of the dot-com you know, heydays, and we were approached by another company that wanted to buy us, and they were interested in acquiring my business. I did not know how to even – uh, uh, fathom a discussion related to an acquisition. How would I even think about my valuation? Is it something I'd want to possibly pursue? Um, you know, I began to talk to other folks who either had an MBA or had a lot of experiences in business to get their mentorship, their advice, their coaching. And I think that was good, but I also realized I'd like to be on the other side of the table. I'd like to have the kind of knowledge that I'd be able to evaluate something like this on my own. And although getting mentors and advisors and all that is great, I just realized I was clearly missing some educational background that would allow me the opportunity to even entertain this idea and do so intelligently. So I just felt like something was missing. Um, and then the other I think that is maybe not talked about too much is just having the self-confidence to do it. You know, When you don't have the degree, you don't have the education, uh, you look at others and you think somehow they're more knowledgeable than you. And I can't say I had the full confidence to say that I was an equal you know, to others maybe in the business world. So I felt like the MBA afforded me that equality psychologically, that you know, once I get that degree, you know, once I get the education, there's nothing stopping me because I, I, I'm an equal to anybody else who has those degrees. There, there's no magic sauce that I haven't learned. And so I think there's a little bit of that, and I, I just don't want to dismiss that. So I think all of that plays an advantage. 
Now, certainly, you know, then once you're in school, you learn a lot about entrepreneurship, about all the different facets of business. You do case studies. You begin to really think about businesses in, in a different way and challenge yourself to do so. So I think if anyone wants that MBA and they want to go after to get a business degree, I would, I would highly encourage it. I think it's a, it's, it was a great educational experience for me. And I also met a lot of great people and learned a lot from a lot of different facets of, 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 uh, of, of experiences that I think ultimately it, sh- it has shaped who I am today. Okay. I think where it can hurt you, though, is I, I look back at some of the entrepreneurs that I know in San Diego who now run successful businesses. Some of them don't even have college degrees, and they're running really substantial businesses. Um, some are mom-and-pop shops that have grown and done really well. In other cases, they're very fairly sophisticated businesses. And I, I think what I've realized is that you know, the higher up you go in your profession or your career working for somebody else – or, um, or getting uh, you know, an MBA, let's say from a fancy school, and then when you graduate, you have a lot of opportunities. In some cases, too much opportunities uh, can work against you because now the risks become greater. You know, I can graduate from a top MBA program and earn $100,000, or I can try to start a business, and with that comes risk. And so what I discovered looking at some of the entrepreneurs locally, I realized they didn't really have too many choices. You know, they were either going to graduate and take on, uh, you know, a, you know, a blue collar role. Uh, nothing wrong with blue collar roles, but if they're looking to make a lot of money, they're probably not going to make that and achieve a level of success in a blue collar role, uh, working, let's say, in a manufacturing environment. Um, and they knew that, or they had to start something, and if it didn't work, what was the worst case scenario for them? And so I think a lot of them felt like they had no choice. And with not having that extra choice, I think they put a lot of extra focus and energy in the business and potentially made it more successful. And then as you get a little older, I think there just become more risks in your life. You generally become a little more risk reverse. Uh, you know, you may get married. You may have children. The risk of starting something is greater. And if you already have uh, you know, a, a solid career where you're making a strong income, it's just very risky to leave it. So uh, yeah. that's where I think sometimes the MBA can hurt you. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 a believer in education, but I also believe that, uh, like you said, you know, it's not it's not one or the other. You can really succeed both ways, and and you you see evidence for that all the time. Um, What I want to ask you about is the early years with uh, with Cagnella or University Leaders and selling because you you did I did read about uh, you you were pretty much the, the the salesperson for the company in the beginning. And how did you deal with the skeptics about your accelerated publishing model? I mean, this was something new, right? So, so you had to sell not only that, that you know, there's a new company, but it's also kind of a new idea. What kind of pushback did you get or did you get any pushback? What was that experience like? Well, what's funny is the, uh, the very early years. So this is when I was selling university readers as a business. And I was a college student at 18 years old, so a freshman at UCSD. And uh, how is a professor going to trust this 18-year-old, this freshman, uh, when they think about freshmen probably as the kids who, you know, some of them don't show up to class, some of them don't get their homework assignments in on time. So, I, you know, I certainly – I didn't advertise the fact that I was a student, a freshman. I just had a title of director of operations. So I was just you know, an employee for the company as a director, and uh, that's what I was doing uh, going out there to sell my business. So the, kind of the first thing I did was uh, you know, give myself a title that others would see and respect. 
uh, you know, versus having a title of freshman student at your school. So that's kind of what I did in the early days. Now, certainly if they asked or that came up, of course I told them I was a student, but, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it wasn't something I was willingly advertising either. And um, we did offer an expedited publishing service. So, you know, and University Reader still does that today. You know, we publish most custom products in, in as little as two weeks. And on the Cognella academic publishing model side, we publish titles from beginning to end in about three months. And um, yes, most titles today, uh, publishers will take uh, several years to publish a book and get it out the door. So certainly there have been some skeptics in that. And, you know, the way I, I get beyond that is I've never thought of myself as a salesperson, per se, um, although I love sales and I love business development and those aspects of the business. I've always seen myself as a consultant, a, a very knowledgeable consultant. So I always approach every conversation that way. So I think you win over skepticism because you're able to describe things in such detail and you're, you're able to, to talk about the process, the way you do things, that, um, and then consult on the problems in the industry or with the specific project, that there's a lot of trust that's built in the room. So, I, you know, rather than think of it as sales, I think about it a little bit more as consulting. And So, uh, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. and I'm just going to add to that is to say that I, uh, if I cannot make a process better or a product better or a title better or something like that with a, with a customer I'm speaking with, a professor or anybody like that, then it's just not the right deal for us. But if I think about it all as a, as a consultant, like how can I improve the current scenario or situation, then, um, then that's how I find you know, always uh, there's a win-win to be had. Tell me what were some of the biggest challenges, let's say the first few years in business. I don't know if you want to deal with maybe when you went all, all out full time with the business or maybe just really in the very beginning, in addition to obviously selling the product, but other challenges that, uh, that were, you know, kept you up at night oh, in the early, I, early years. I mean, there have been so many. There have been so many things. Like that. <laughs> well, I think you know, there's this, there's, there perhaps is this, uh, this notion that entrepreneurs are either risk seeking or uh, you know these warriors who don't worry about anything and they pave new roads. And I think so, for some, of course, that's true. I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, worry about a lot of things. Um, I think in many cases can be paranoid about um, things that can go wrong. Um, you know, and frankly, are not as you know, risk-seeking as many would believe. And so I worried about a lot of things and struggled a lot in the, in the early days. Um, I can tell you, well, the first challenge I faced was who's – I didn't have any money. So I had to go out and print business cards and flyers and circulate them. And, I, you know, I, I, I did that by, by going off to Kinko's, making the business cards, the flyers, and charging that first amount. I think it was like about $100 to make the business cards and everything and the flyers. And then, oh, getting a phone number. Back in the days, there was no mobile phones. I had a, uh, uh, I had a pager. So you know, it was a pager number. So someone would call you, and you know, they paid you with a voicemail, and then you'd always call them back. So that was the way my communication – that was my office at the time. So no one ever got me live. They'd call, and you, know, you reached my office. And uh, so obviously things have changed with telecommunications today. But uh, so one was coming up with that initial money, just to be able to charge it and then circulate the flyers and then worry about what if I get no business? How am I then going to pay for this the amount I just charged? The next was the very first project I got. Am I going to be able to deliver this project on time? I was nervous about it. And I remember the first day of school for that very first project I got, I don't think I slept a wink that night. I was so nervous about making sure the books would get delivered on time, that the students would be willing to accept the price that I had, you know, just everything. I was fairly nervous about it. 
Um, the other issue that had come up at the time was I needed somebody – I needed a printer who would believe in me to print my product uh, without any money. I didn't have any money for a deposit or anything. So I remember when I went to go find a printer to take on this very first order, it was, okay, you got to give me a 50% deposit, which at the time was I think two or $3,000. And I said, I, I don't have that. And I had to convince them of my business. I explained my business to them and how I was going to do it and how I'd get the sales, and they believed in me. So sometimes you have to even sell, sell to your vendors. So I, you know, I had to sell to, to, to that person who believed in me and said, fine, I, I understand, and you know, just pay me two weeks after the first day of school and paid him that first amount, and then trust was born. And then you know, we worked together for years. So uh, those were all challenges. I would say the biggest challenge, though, when I graduated was then trying to grow the business. I took the model that I had at UC San Diego where I was very hands-on. Um, I was you know, hiring student reps to go to campuses and sell the books in the classrooms, and then they'd meet with me. We'd collect all the money um, and do the accounting on the money. And then as I began to expand the business, I said, well, what if I grow off and go to UC, UC Irvine and UCLA? So I began to hire these campus reps, and I, I wanted them to work the campus exactly how I worked the campus. Uh, you know, go in, you know, get the books printed locally, or I would print them and ship them to them, and then you go sell the product, you collect the money, you hire reps. You, you, and so I was trying to, to, to scale the model, the, the business model, doing what exactly what I did with, in San Diego, and that did not work. You know, I couldn't find student workers who were as diligent as I was, as entrepreneurially minded, who had the same sort of, you know, rigor in how they'd handle all the processes. So I very quickly, I learned, you know, the business began to unravel when we expanded, and I realized I need to centralize this business. Accounting, distribution, um, uh, you know, production, all has to be centralized. And so that's kind of what I did. Uh, and then thankfully at the time, e-commerce models were born. It was much easier to offer an e-commerce service. And so that, that, that's what I decided to do. I'm going to centralize this as a San Diego-based business. We're going to be selling off an e-commerce website, so I'm handling all the, all the transactions. And then let's have – if we're going to have external workers, let them be salespeople. Let them go out to professors, sell the product and the service, but we're going to handle everything on the back end. And so, so with all the challenges, w was there ever a time when you wanted to quit, like seriously consider quitting? You know – and I never really thought I would give up on the business or quit. Um, I definitely – there was a time when I went to business school. I began to think about what else can I do because I wasn't thinking about the business as significantly as I probably should have. You know, I was thinking about how do you go start the next Google when I went off to business school. So I, that was sort of in my mind. But I'd taken a, uh, some good courses there that I realized that the business I had was – it was a real business. You know, at the time, it was about a million dollars in revenue and maybe five employees, and we were solving a real need, and I thought there was a lot of opportunity to grow it. But I can't say there wasn't this moment in time where I didn't dismiss it a little bit. Like it was, it was too small, too mom and pop, and I should be doing something you know, bigger. Um, and really, you know, I, what I realized was it was a great little business that had a lot of room for growth and that there's a lot of different businesses out there. Um, there are small businesses that you can run a little more in a little more sophisticated way. Uh, there are mom and pop shops; those are perfectly good businesses that anyone can, you know, anyone who has the right mindset, dedication, you know, can run. And there are larger, larger businesses out there. You can go out and raise a bunch of money um, from VCs and try to, you know, go for broke. And I think what I realized was the business that I had was was great, and that there's a lot of different paths to entrepreneurship. And this was just one of many. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us may get seduced with reading about you know, the, new, the new tech darling and thinking that that's what an entrepreneur should be pursuing. And that's a very small percentage of businesses out there. There's so many others. So just to, you know, for others to keep that in mind, um, you, you know, if you have the resources, you can raise money and go buy a business, a small business. That's an, that's, you're being an entrepreneur if you go out there and buy a business and then try to grow it. So um, operating a business, a business better in a more sophisticated way is entrepreneurship. So in um, in 2004, your business had about a million dollars in revenue. You know, we're talking about 10 years from now. Can you give us an idea in terms of where you are as a business? Can you share uh, any of that with us in terms of your revenue? Or give us an idea like, okay, you were at $1 million 10 years ago. Where are you now? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fairly comfortable doing that. I mean, we're around a $10 million a year business now. Um, so okay. we've grown, you know, roughly 10x in every, you know, in, from revenue, headcount. And, um, and so, you know, fairly more significant today. That was back, and I can say to, to do the years on that, that was when I was in business school and graduated. That was around 2005 or so when I graduated from business school. So in the course of nine years or so, we've grown, you know, 10x. I'm not, I know you, you just mentioned Google, you know, or building a billion-dollar business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have, a, you have a company of 70 people and $10 million, which is – it's a bigger accomplishment than anyone or most people that ever tried to build a business. It's a huge accomplishment is what I'm trying to say. Do you ever pinch yourself uh, or you, you feel that you're a success or you feel like you're not a Google? <laughs> That's a, it's an interesting question. You know, I don't, I don't aspire to, you know, to necessarily be running a, you know, a Google someday. That's not really on my radar uh, to be on. I, I'm, I'm happy with what we've done. And uh, so I, I really appreciate you know those the, the words of encouragement. Uh, that being said, I do feel sometimes like we've only scratched the surface, and that there's so much opportunity out there, and that we need to be doing more. And so the only time I feel a little bit sort of funny about where we are is we are limited by our own cash flows, because I, well I, one thing we didn't really cover is kind of how I kind of financed and grew the business, but we've only grown the business via our own cash flows. We've never gone out and raised any money. And why not raise money? You know, I just – I always felt uncomfortable with that. Is it because of the ownership? You didn't want to give up any of the ownership or what is the reason? It's not on the ownership side because I, you know, I've, we, we've launched a very uh, good stock option plan for our key employees. And so I'm happy sharing the wealth um, with the people who are in the business and helping to grow it. And they um, essentially, you know, become co-owners with the, with the option plan, especially, you know, when they exercise the options. I want, I want people here who are, who are key folks within our, within our team. And that's, that's probably about 25 to 30% of the folks enter kind of this, this status. It's either the senior level or a supervisor management level where they, they get their, their extended opportunity to participate in the stock option plan. So I, I'm happy sharing in that and having multiple owners in the business. It's, it's, it, you know what it is? It's the risk that comes with equity financing. There's just risk in that. It's from liquidity preferences to guaranteed returns to, and so that's all. I've always been hesitant to take on any additional, you know, funding. Um, I would say though, a little bit is by design with our business. I started the business part time. I grew it part time. By the time I would have thought about raising money, we already had a fairly significant revenue, and so, you know, if you're going to raise money at that stage, there's just more to more to lose. It's almost like the first time you raise business, you want to do it when you have nothing to lose. You know, there's no revenue or you're, you're pre-revenue, you're doing friends and family, and you've already begun that process of raising money, and you do it early. 
And uh, once you do that, you already kind of open the spigot, you open the risk profile, you open everything else, and you're doing it when, again, there's very little to lose. But if you do it later in the stage of a business, uh, there's, just, there's just more at risk. So that was, yeah. that was my thing you know, with it. You're way beyond the idea stage when most most business gets funded. You know, it's it's pre-revenue. It's more of okay, we have a prototype, we have a beta software, and you know, give us some money. But when you put twenty plus, you know, twenty plus years into a business, it's such a different picture, isn't it? Well, it is. It is different. And even as of you know, let's say five, ten years ago, it was different. I just so I just that's why I didn't personally do it. But you know, truly, that's that that speaks to you know risk. I think had we raised money, we probably could be bigger and stronger today. But there's really there's no way of knowing for sure. Uh, with investment and investors come, sometimes the business gets pushed in different directions, which may not be to the benefit of the business. I guess I just wanted a pure play. You know, I wanted a business that we could set our own domain. We're not doing it to try to please other investors or owners in the business. Um, we've never raised any debt. I've always been worried about you know, these black swan events. You just never know when they can happen. Warren Buffett would always talk about that, trying to be debt-free. So are we operating our business in the most uh, – you know, uh, you know, is the financial structure of our business the most advantageous, kind of the capital structure? No, probably not because debt right now is cheap. So you know, should we be heavily debt-laden and then using that to fund growth? You know, some would say that's, that's smart, but there's, there's really a lot of risk in that. You know, a couple things go wrong, and the debt holders come calling, and you lose your entire business. So I, yeah. so I, I am operating the business, I guess, in a fairly risk-averse way. I have. Do you have time for two more questions? Sure. Because I know we went over, and okay. I apologize. No, about I, that. it's really been a pleasure to chat with you. So um, you, you're now a CEO. You know, it's, it's more than just you know somebody that's trying to sell some some custom published uh, uh, books. So, so it's very different. Uh, you have a team of seventy. How is your life different now, and, and what are some of the challenges of a CEO as opposed to somebody that just has you know, a mom-and-pop business? And I'm not trying to put down mom-and-pop businesses, but it's very, very different types of, of challenges, it, I assuming that. But that's, that's really – and I'm not going to go around mm -hmm. this circle anymore, but pretty much you know, give us an idea of what, what is a day like for you, somebody that runs a team of 70? Well, I think well, – so one I can say, I, I, can't, I can't do any of what we've done without – great people working for me and with me at Cognella. And I really value all the contributions our team members make. And, um, you know, we talk a little bit about our, our, our company as a family, really more like a team because people each play different positions and uh, we have to play together in order to win. And so um, I, I want to say that's first and foremost. Everybody who works here or really works anywhere is working through their own voluntary enlistment. And so I just always remembering that, you know, you can never really tell somebody to do something. They have to sort of volunteer to do it. That's the nature of our uh, workforce today. And so keeping that in mind, the most important thing really becomes the culture. And, um, and then trying to just nurture the right environment, a culture where people are happy at work, productive, love to be here. And we're not perfect for everybody. Um, and in fact, you know the, the you know the quickest thing that goes wrong really is usually in a, in a cultural mismatch for some kind of, for some reason for one reason or another. So we're not the best place for every per, for every for every person. So trying to find the right people who have the right mindset, the right attitude to come and work with us to make the company great becomes then one of your major major priorities. Because there's really a lot as you grow from let's say a size of five or six and you have your hand on everything when you have five or six people in a room and you're working together to 70 people, you don't have as much control. 
So ultimately what you're hoping for is that you get the right people on board with the right culture that people do the right things and that the culture helps sort of you know helps guide that um you know that that uh that mindset that productivity and everything else that goes along with running a business. So I think that's probably what I really think about the most and probably deal with the most. Um you know when 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 there are issues around the culture or trying to make sure that someone is living by our cultural standards kind of our code of conduct and things like that there's a lot more psychology i think in the business a lot more related to interpersonal dynamics than i than i ever experienced in the early days where it was all about driving the business and getting sales now it's a lot about being a mentor a coach and trying to push people in the right direction so I think I worry about that a lot more. And then just try to create a fun environment. I mean, you know, we all work hard in this. In the United States, people work a lot of hours, you know, more than probably most other countries. And so we want to have fun at work. And I, I really value personally as a leader uh, work-life balance, and I really value kind of health and fitness. So we've driven a lot of that internally in the company. We have uh, on Mondays as a group that plays tennis. On Tuesday, we have company boot camp. I actually lead the boot camp sessions. It's about 10 of us that do it every week. Uh, Wednesday, we do yoga. We have a yoga instructor who comes to the company, and we do it. Thursday, we do boot camp. Friday, we do, we do volleyball. Uh, we've added softball. Uh, that's going to happen on Wednesday evenings. We usually play about six months out of the year. And typically on Sundays, we've had a soccer team. So we're very active, and it just it delivers so much extra benefits to the company. You get to hang out with your colleagues at work and do it in a social setting. You're doing it in a team environment when you're playing sports or you're doing, a, let's say, a boot camp class together. Uh, you get to intermingle. So sometimes some departments don't have a lot of chances to work together, but they get to experience each other on a, on a sports team. And the best part is soccer, volleyball, and different activities that we lead. Uh, usually somebody in the company becomes the coach. And it's so nice to have somebody who maybe isn't typically in a leadership position within the company be a leader or a coach, you know, that's, let's say, out in the soccer field. So we do a lot of things like that, I think, and those are things that I'm thinking about on a constant basis. Okay. How do you deal with the ups and downs? Uh, you know, I've been in, I've been, I own my own business for over 10 years, not as long as you have, but uh, there are a lot of ups and downs. But uh, is that something that you're dealing with even today or – or it, you're immune to that. Uh, share share that if you would. No, I'm, you know I'm I'm a very emotional person, a very emotional being in the sense that I you know I'm 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 in tune with my emotions. You know I you know I care deeply about uh, the scenarios or situations that arise, positive and negative. Um, I try to be very introspective with you know my role and um, and how to handle something. So absolutely, lots of ups and downs. You know, um, both internally because of a failure. Let's say we, you know, let's say we hired the wrong person for a role. Well, that's a, that's a failure. You know, if we if we hired somebody who didn't have the right skill sets and put them in a role where they were not successful, I failed that person. Um, you know, and so I don't look at it as well. They failed us because they don't have the right skill sets. It's we should have known better. So yeah, I take some personal weight in things like that. Or you know, you go after a big deal and you can't, you don't win it. Or if there's a any kind of issue internally that you're having to deal with, yeah, there's a lot of ups and downs there. You know, does it get easier though over the years? I, I mean, I, you're looking at 20 years in business. <laughs> is it easier well, or I, not? Well, I, I think putting 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 things that I once thought was you know were a really big deal, you know, kind of like you know the major crisis. Now putting it into into context of that's not a major. That's just that's a, that's the day in the life of a business person. 
So it's like it's like the very first time you know you get you know uh, you know an attorney sending you a letter for something. You know, it's like the very first time, it's like your heart sinks, you panic. Like, what's this all about? And uh, now you realize, well, that's just the way business operates, that there are people out there who sometimes want to take something from you or want to defend something and think you're doing something. So whatever that reason is, it's just that's just the nature of the beast. And so, yes, in some cases, it does become easier. In other cases, you know, to me, the ones that are the hardest and I think don't get, don't get easier over time is, is, you know, some of the – some of the personnel issues of something is very emotionally charged. Those don't ever get easier because you never want to add uh, you know, tension, drama, or anything else in somebody else's life. Like I, you know, that, that never becomes easier, so you, you need to let somebody go. I, that has never become easier for me to let yeah. somebody go. Um, it has to happen. You've got to do it the right way some, you know, always. Uh, you got to make sure they're not surprised when the moment comes. They've had lots of forewarning, change, you know, uh, ways to improve, all that. But I can't say letting somebody go, knowing that you know, there's a family on a line or now they're going to go through unemployment. That's somehow going to get easier. It just doesn't. Um, yeah. But you've got to put it in perspective and realize what you're doing is for the betterment of the business because you know, we have to be strong. Because you asked me earlier, you know, this being a CEO and how's that, how that, how's that different? Well, yeah, I look around the room of 70 people and I say there's a lot of people who rely on us. Like we, we have to be successful, not just for me. You know, I want to I be successful so I'm proud of what I'm doing. But uh, there's a lot of responsibility here, a lot of weight on the shoulders related to other people's lives that we affect. So it's internal. It's the clients that we support and work with. So, yes, there's, a, there's more responsibility, I think, in that you certainly do have that extra weight that you have to contend with. So tell me, what is the next big milestone for Cognella? Or where do you see the business in the next five to ten years? How, how do you think of your business? Do you, do you look at the next big goal or do you look at, okay, what's going to happen in five years with us? You know, I don't – It's it, so certainly I have a, a five-year plan, you know, and I have a financial model we've built that's five years out and – uh, right now, the way I think about what we're doing, is, you know, a couple things. We have a model that works, and we're scaling. So it's staying really focused to that. Stay focused on the on, on scaling this business that's working, and try not to get too caught up in the most recent press release. Because you know, you, as a business, you can end up chasing a lot of different things, either you know, market forces or competitors or doing different things that I think sometimes you know can work for you or can work against you. So as long as we keep talking to our clients and we're providing, providing services for them and filling a need that we know is there and growing, then let, let's stay true to that. And so, uh, so, so that's kind of step number one. Keep growing the model and make sure it works. And then keep testing to make sure that we're not missing something. You know, the model's working and growing and we're analyzing it. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is just thinking about technology and how our business is changing. Like what are the things that, are, that we're doing as a company that's helping stay on top of and, and even maybe ahead of you know, the curve? And so for us, it's working around technology related to interactive content, um, making sure that we have amazing learning outcomes for students and what does that look like. And so definitely it's thinking about our, you know, our next product line. Um, and, you know, and how do we then you know, offer something that uh, speaks to the nature of students today and in the future? So you know, some combination of continue to do what we're doing while making sure we're, 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 we're thinking consistently and, and, and smartly about new products and how we release them. Okay, my last question is what is your advice if you have just one thing that you could say to somebody that either wants to take their business to the next level or somebody that just wants to take the plunge and go and, and start a business? 
you know, I would say, well, if they're going to start, want to start, if they want to start a business and that's really on their mind, they need to find a way to just go do it. Just go do it. Uh, you know, try to do it early. You know, uh, experience is overrated. So, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be 40 years old and you've been, you know, you've gained all this work experience and then now you feel ready. Um, the reality is that work experience that you got over the course of 20 years may or may not benefit you when you start your business. And like we talked about earlier, you know, the longer you wait, sometimes the more risk averse you become. So if you have the opportunity to start something sooner rather than later, you just do it. Um, that would be my first piece of advice. The second would be to try to find a mentor. Uh, someone who's done it before you that you can talk intimately about your fears and your issues. And in fact, I should have added that in the question that you asked me earlier, which is, you know, how do you deal with the ups and downs? Well, I, I, I have a handful of mentors that I go to uh, on a fairly regular basis about issues that I'm contending with. Well, and, and different mentors serve different roles. So build an advisory board. If you have a business you want to take it to the next level and you haven't put in, in you haven't put together any kind of board or even an advisory board, go build one. You know, there are a lot of people out there who have a lot of experience and advice and they love helping entrepreneurs get to the next level. And you know, you can offer a stock option plan and offer a kind of op, a kind of advisor options or something like that. And generally think about the, that list, that group of advisors that you want to build or that mentor and see where they where, where they fill a certain it, it's going to be hard to get one person to do to you know to be that um, uh, kind of that holy grail of advisor for you usually you need at least maybe you know two three to help fill different gaps in some cases someone's maybe some, someone's really strong in sales and business development for someone else maybe it's someone really strong in you know operations you know for someone else it may be strategy um, so that would be one thing and then maybe another thing would be uh, try to get advisors or mentors who, who fill different generational gaps you know I've learned the most from an advisor of mine I'd say who is a, you know a generation uh, you know above me and it helps me because we talk about not only business but personal things you know his children have grown up gone through college are now working and so the advice he gives me even in, in upbringing my three small children I think is just amazing so it's not only you know pursuing the entrepreneurship path but maybe just making sure you surround yourself with people who can who who really want to help you and uh, and you're also you know providing a benefit to them uh, keeping them engaged in business your challenges um, and you're serving as a friend to them as well well Basim I, I really appreciate your time today. It has been very insightful, and, and I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience as well. How can people connect with you or, or you know, reach out to you, or what, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, well, so first, you know, thank you for the invitation. I, I, I appreciated it. It was fun. Um, um, anyone can, if you, someone wants to reach out to me and, you know, and it, there's a follow-up to the interview, by all means, they can, they can email me if they'd like, uh, bassim at cognella.com. So just B-A-S-S-I-M at cognella, C-O-G-N-E-L-L-A.com. And, uh, you know, happy to be a service. Thank you very much. Okay. Th I appreciate you it. You bet. Thank you, George.